Hello, my name is Kiana W. Mitchell, and I am a singer, songwriter, podcaster, and relationship coach. I am also a Christian who for years grew up in a religion that taught me to fear God instead of have a relationship with God. It wasn't until I lost my religion and developed a relationship with God that I was able to understand how much God really loved me. Each one of us have a story to tell about how we found God. Each one of us have taken a different path and a different journey to find God. So join me as we go on a journey through interviews and music to discover how people find God. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Finding God Podcast. I am your host, Kiana W. Mitchell. My guest this week is Mickey, and he is a professor of religion, and in this interview, he shares how he has been able to find God in the study and understanding of different religions. So without further ado, here is the interview that I did with Mickey. Hello, Mick. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Glad to ask that you asked me and I hope you're doing well too. Yes, I am. And thank you so much Good. for being the guest on the Finding God podcast. I'm super excited to have you here and to hear your story about how you found God. Yeah, very interesting, I think. And it's probably been so much a part of my life. I'm actually a, a world religions teacher and not anymore, but I've been a professor at universities and colleges. So not only talk about myself, my own experience, but actually finding God in various world religions, because I did my search when I was a younger person, and that really prepared me for what I eventually became an academic pursuit. And of course, you know, academics, like publishing and all the things that are related to that teaching and what have you. Oh, wow. Well, let me start off by asking the question I ask every single guest on the show. Sure. What was your childhood like? Uh, childhood was so much better than I, a lot of people. I mean, I was very much in a bubble. So I think a lot of ways, uh, it was fantastic. I think my sister and I were very fortunate. We were like the last generation where we had this wonderful family, intact family. Everything was phenomenal. Mom and dad were great people. You know, I think I, personality wise, I always look at, well, who's the bigger influence, but I'm kind of like 50, 50 between the two of them, but hardworking people, you know, mom was a stay-at-home mom, so I had the, really the good fortune of always being around a parent. My dad was the breadwinner, he was a provider, he was a factory worker, he worked hard. And so for a childhood, I thought it was absolutely ideal. And again, in terms of finding God, I mean, this is really important because we went to church. Sunday was just wasn't even a question. It was just, you know, that car you see behind me was their parents' first new car, 1957 Buick Special. That's the Sunday car, and I keep it in his memory. My dad's gone on to his heavenly reward, but that's the Sunday car. So every Sunday we went, and vacations, still, Sunday we're going to church. I mean, so it was just a part of our upbringing. So very ideal in a lot of ways. I, you know, I can't say, well, I say any problem I have, it's a problem that I have as an adult. It's not really because of my parents. They were just really fantastic people. They met each other when they were four years old wow. from a small town in Northeast Pennsylvania. 
odd story for both of their family. There was no one to take care of my mom. She was not raised by her mother and father. So there was nowhere else to put the kid. So they said, well, let's take her to school. So she went when she was four years old and my dad caused such a ruckus. His older brother went to school. They said, okay, he can come too. So they both went under unusual circumstances a year before and, you know, they grew up together. So childhood sweethearts, uh, high school sweethearts got married out of high school. So yeah, just ideal in a lot of ways. Oh, wow. And you mentioned that when you were younger, you guys went to church every Sunday. And it was funny yep. you said there was no question about it. Everybody just knew. Never. Cars going out, <laughs> you need to be in that car. Yeah, that's it's a big V8, you know, like they had in the old days, like a little American muscle. I mean, that car turned over. It's like, okay, it's time. You, you're in the car. Thank you. <laughs> got to get ready and we're going. So you're, you're leaving. It was not a question. So in a lot of ways, I mean, some people find that oppressive, but I mean, no, it gave us, you know, discipline and it gave us the moral structure that kids need. And it's all black and white. I mean, you know, there's good and there's bad. And, you know, we, my parents as I said, this is how we live and just didn't question it because it's important. And I think it's ideal for a lot of kids. They, they really need that direction that they get from parents or whoever it might be in their influence in their life. Absolutely. Now tell me something that you remember as a child growing up about God that really stuck with you, resonated with you, something you understood at such a young age about God. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. So I'm practicing a Roman Catholic and that was our tradition. And I always have had what I would say some sort of interest in God, but it was unusual because say my parents' generation, if you had this kind of interest in God, it was more personal you right away became a priest. And I never wanted to be a priest. It never was something that I wanted to do. And so even though some of my friends, they would be altar boys, which was kind of like the priest in training. I was never an altar boy. When I went to the Boy Scouts, I got what is the medal that you get, the Parvuli Dei Award. That was the religious part of being a Boy Scouts, you know, so you don't have to be, but if you were a particular religion, you could. So, I mean, that was important. I got that. All of that was to suggest that I did have an interest in God, but I always was not saying what would be typical to become a priest. I just wanted to be a layperson. So my best buddy talks about this, and it was funny because our experience is about the same. Our families are very similar, and he talks about it. I always like he tells a joke about it. He would become a priest or a monk as long as they let him date on Saturday night. So. That's a funny way of expressing it, because I think people who are called to that life really are called to a life of celibacy, which I didn't. I always thought myself would be more like my parents, that I would always get married and have children, what have you. So I never saw that. And then some of the things that they showed us as kids, even, I said, you know, there was a, a priest, Padre Pio, who actually had the stigmata of Christ. So he had his hands and side and his feet bled as some would say that it's called a stigmata and i thought to myself this was in sixth grade and i said well if i have that and i'm a priest like this guy how am i going to play baseball so i said you know that's that's out i mean I, I don't even want to think about that it sounds like it's not for me because i couldn't play basketball or you know sports a little league was much more important to me at the time so always had this interest, but I just saw it was as a layperson and wanted to pursue and be a good family person, I think was the goal. I get that. So let me ask you, as you went into yep. adolescence, 
tell me about that. How did God fit into your life? Did you see yourself not being as close to God? Like what happened with your teenage years? Yeah, that's uh, it's, it really is an excellent question because as I try to suggest here, a parent's never really asked us about religion, whether you wanted to or not. It was very expected. But I think there is a point in life where God becomes more personal. So speaking of sports, this is actually what happened. So there's a guy that I was playing basketball with, and his nickname was Doc. I don't know how he got the nickname, but he looked at my right knee the one day, and he says, you know, what's that on your knee? I go, I don't know. And it was just this kind of growth off the side of my knee. He says, you know, you might want to get that looked at. So sure enough, I go home to my parents. I said, you know, I don't know what this thing is. You know, maybe we should have checked out. So sure enough, it turns out that maybe a year or so before I had a really bad fall playing basketball. And I remember falling. So I had the, my knee was completely bruised and I was really in bad shape for a while. But I thought, well, okay, it's a bruise and it's gone away. But what had happened is actually the growth cells on my leg had gotten pushed off to the side. So I was actually growing off to the side of my knee. And that's what that bubble-like thing was because it was hard. It was a bone. So had to have an operation, had to be taken and scraped out. Now, this is just the way a young adolescent thinks. I just thought there was something about that particular incident. It's a minor surgery for a lot of people, but this was major for me. I've had no health problems. And, you know, knock on wood, I'm very fortunate my entire life not had health problems. But in my mind, this had built up to such a great extent, I thought, I'm going to wake up from this operation and my leg's going to be gone, right? That's just the thought that I had as an adolescent. And I go, well, there goes my basketball career. I'm not going to play for the Lakers. So I was in this chapel in, it was St. Mary's Hospital in Long Beach, California. And I was praying because the next day would be this operation. And I'm sitting there on the left-hand side of the chapel by myself. And it was just a bizarre experience. I started looking, I felt something just very powerful. I turned around. I thought there was somebody who had walked into the room. That's how strong and powerful it was. I turned around. There's nobody there. But this feeling came over me that was just warm and loving and caring. And it's what most people would say that, you know, this is a religious experience. A lot of my Protestant brethren say that's a born again experience because I interpreted it as this was God reaching down and telling me, you know, look, it's all okay. I got this, you know, don't worry about this, that you're going to be fine. And I interpreted that because I was literally on my knees, like, come on, God, I mean, you know, don't let me lose my leg. And so at that point, I said, God is much more personal, I saw as a result, because although there were good experiences, and I felt the presence of God in some other places, this was very direct, I was by myself, there was nobody there. So that was something that really convinced me that this was, you know, God reaching down into me and making a personal connection with me. And so that years of being a younger person, I was about 16 at the time, it was really pretty critical, and started pursuing and reading more and trying to find out, you know, that I find my place in life as a result. That's amazing how that happened. I know it's like a lot of people when they say that they had that experience with God and finally realized, you know, who God was, is something that, and it's funny because most of the time it is not a loud thing that happens. It's not something that's major. It's like they can think of that one quiet moment 
where something happened that gave them that feeling of peace and like God is here, God's with me. So that is amazing. That's an awesome story. Mm, yeah, it's just that feeling of warmth and love, you know, that if you know what it's like to be loved in other situations, it was like that, but there's nobody there. So I said, well, what else could it possibly be? But this is a direct answer to prayer because that's exactly what I was praying for. I mean, I need peace. I need reassurance that I'm going to come through this surgery okay because, you know, goodness knows, God knows my destiny was to be on the Lakers. So, I mean, you know, it's like it's got to work out. I never played for the Lakers, obviously, but I mean, this is the way I thought about it. And when you are a teenager, you have to have dreams and goals yes, because yes. I've had several dreams and goals. Of course, I think, well, I mean, I can't really complain because I'm working on some of them, reaching some of them. And then Good. I did something I never expected that I do. So, I mean, it all works out in the end. And I think we all it end does. up being where we're meant to be at some point. And I yeah. just think that all the things we go through is almost like leading us to where God's like, okay, I want you to do this. And he sees where he wants us to be, but mm-hmm. he just leads us gradually in to that place so i think so yeah so tell me a little bit more about after this experience um you said you end up being a professor you studied about how you could how people yes. find god in different religions tell me about that how, what did you find out and what led you to looking into that yeah but so it i really became an academic so i don't do that anymore but that certainly was a, a major part of my life and especially from about that point on when i was about 16 all through college and then graduate school as well so i majored in history i minored in religious studies as the bachelor's level then went on to get two master's degrees and then eventually my phd in history of religions from ucla but it really became a part of my academic search in a lot of ways because I said, I found something here that is really important, but I'm also very curious about all these other world religions. So I started seriously reading the Bible. I started really wanting to go into original languages. So I learned Greek in particular. It's Koine Greek that the New Testament was written in. It's the common language of people at the time. So all of that study meant I could understand the culture, the history, the tradition, and how it all came together and how the Bible was collected and all of those things. And then as well as, so there's a famous quote from F. Max Mueller, who is the, considered the founder of the history of religions as an academic discipline. And he says, he who knows one knows none by which he means you've got to not only understand whatever your religious tradition is, but the other traditions as well. And that's where the academic side came in. So I started studying other religions as well. So Buddhism, Judaism, and Islam, everything else. And then eventually began to teach it because I was in liberal arts departments and they needed somebody who could teach those kind of topics and those, those religions so you go through a series of all of them. You know, you go through what's the oldest tradition, the oldest continuous tradition is Hinduism. And then you move through the more contemporary religions right up to the present, up to what they call the new religious movements and what have you. But I did try to find what was critical to all of those religions. And I think I was also trying to fulfill what F. Max Mueller was saying, that he who knows one knows none. So knowing this category of religion and what it is. And I find, you know, there's a popular misunderstandings of what religion is. And this is what's really helpful for students to explain differences between Eastern religions, Western religions, and typical questions that would come up. And I was, I think, really prepared for it 
based on my own personal experiences and my study. So it's very rewarding. I mean, I think that it's really can help people. And what I would often tell people is that you could see it's the so-called secularization process that has been taking place in the United States. People don't go to church and synagogue like they did at one time, especially in the 1950s and 1960s. But what I would tell people a lot of times, let's say, you know, if you're Jewish, well, you know, why don't you investigate your religion? You know, it's been around for 5,000 years. I mean, don't you think there's something of value? <laughs> it's 5,000 years of tradition and study and what have you. So for a lot of people, you made the comment, it's not necessarily to convert people into something or a particular religion, but understanding their own tradition and where they came from. And I would say this about the Christians as well, too. You know, it's amazing how many Christians don't really understand Christianity. They don't really understand what it is. And this is where I think I, you know, an academic can come in and help them out and explain what this is and why it's important and differences between, let's say, East and West. Again, it's part of my generation growing up, but the Eastern religions became really important to a lot of people, you know, let's face it, just frankly, because of the Beatles, you know, the Beatles got interested, they go to India. So like a lot of the kids are going up and they go, oh, I want to be cool like the Beatles. So, you know, there must be something of value there. So a lot of Eastern religions were introduced to the West. And so people who were searching or didn't find satisfaction began to search. And, you know, it's fine to be looking for other things. But a lot of times I would just go to the basics, like, you know, they would talk about Christianity if there's from a Christian tradition, but they don't understand Christianity. So before you reject it, you know, why don't you look into your own tradition that you were a part of and understand it first? And if you do want to go to some other religion or search, fine, but understand it first. And that's what I found. I think just people need more religion and more understanding of it because they're just like a lot of topics that people don't know or they don't know what it is or they understand it in a hostile way and it's not necessarily to be hostile about it you just learn I mean, just like anything yeah. else well let me ask a question i find this interesting yeah. you said that there is um you studied a lot of religions and everything mm -hmm. what is one common denominator that you found from all of them yeah that that again that's a really good question and it actually has to do with the definition of religion so you can make a generalization and say Eastern religions and Western religions are some fundamentally different and there are some similarities. But one of the primary differences is that when people in the West talk about religion, they think faith and belief and particularly a book. Well, Eastern religions don't work that way. Yeah. So they don't necessarily have a book or one book. They may have several books or a whole series of books, such as in Hinduism. Or another staggering thought that a lot of people I would tell them about in Buddhism, you actually can be a practicing Buddhist and be an atheist. And this strikes people as very odd. Well, how could you possibly be religious and be an atheist? Well, if we understand what Buddhism is and what Buddhism really stands for, you don't necessarily have to have a supreme being. So common denominators that religions have to answer the question directly are things like ritual. They are things that people do as a part of their religion. And so in studying religion, this is what I found really fascinating. So when I got my dissertation, for example, I ended up with a, a really the second, second through the fourth century of Christianity. It's not necessarily what people are interested in, that are that many because they want to know the first century and the Bible. I think, well, that's very 
good, but there's this whole collection of books and things that were happening in a very exciting time between the second and the fourth century. And I looked at ritual. What were people doing? What were Christians doing? And you look across the board on all religions, they all have some type of practice. So the point being, when it comes to religion, you can look up topics that they share in common. So they have some sort of story, or they have some sort of book, or they have something that people are supposed to do along with rituals and along with practices that are important for that particular religion. And it crosses the barriers. And that's where you'd say, you know, he who knows one knows none, because you can see common denominators. And it's, a again, a generalization, but religion has both similarities and differences. So there are people who often say, well, religions are all basically the same, aren't they? And No, they're really not, because there are very profound, profound differences between the religions. But one being one that you could say people tend to think of belief or faith as really important, but that's important to Western religions and not necessarily to Eastern religions like Shintoism and Buddhism and Hinduism, etc., Interesting. Well, let me ask a question. So since you um, have studied about religions and everything, so do you see a difference between a religion, you know, just having rituals and things in religion and having a relationship with God? What is the difference that you found through your studies when it comes to that? Yeah, and I think that's what's an interesting question, because with it saying that there are differences between religions, however, if you look at some specifics in the search for God, in many ways, if not God per se, that is in a supreme being, as say Jewish people and Christians would think about it, but there is some sort of search for the transcendent or something beyond themselves, and that is common to all religions. So the Hindu is looking for something which is transcendent, and it's the world soul. So I am a soul, but I'm trying to get myself to where the world soul is, the thing behind the world, Brahman. If you're a Buddhist, it's similar in that you also want to reach that point of not desiring anything and not wanting anything. Because the Buddha taught that the reason that you're so unhappy is that you have desires for things. But if you eliminate the desires, then your desires cease and you will reach that point of pure satisfaction. So there is a search for maybe what we'd say the transcendent or something beyond themselves and the search for God, I'd say, well, if there is a God, okay, let's put that on, just say as as a supposition for the time being, this is probably what draws people to be religious and they're religious in various forms, depending on what they're searching for. So there's something like, there's another famous historian of religion, Mercia Iliata, who would say that the transcendent is hiding and There is true. I mean, there's indigenous religions, Native American, African religions. They will say this, too, that God is hiding, but there's some sort of search for transcendence and something beyond the individual. And I think that is something that's common to, say, religions across the board and the individual's search for something that is beyond themselves. That's interesting. So let me ask you a quick question. What would you tell someone who is passively looking for God? What advice would you give them? Yeah, I think, you know, to to say, well, what's the what's the upshot of it? So if I were thinking about religious people, just say just generic religious people, would I prefer being next to a religious person 
as my neighbor, as opposed to a non-religious person, I would go with the religious person. And the reason being, because with all the things that are possibly wrong with individuals and their behavior, at least that person is trying. And that's what I would say. Let's respect that. So if a person is searching, well, okay, you are at least are trying and you're at least making the effort which gives you a leg up on the other people who either are not interested or don't care, or they're dedicated to something which is bad or evil. So if that person is searching, you know, again, reading, studying, talking to people, and, you know, going back to say the, you know, the good old professor days, take a class, take a class in world religions, you know, talk to people, you know, priests, rabbis, ministers, I mean, talk to people too, and, and look, because it's the great notion of God that, God is hiding in some ways. You know, there's a famous expression, too, that from the Buddhist tradition, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. Point okay. being that whatever you meet is not going to be the Buddha. So you don't want to claim that, you know, because the transcendent is not something that's going to necessarily come with lightning bolts and what have you. But there's a subtlety. And, you know, the Bible expresses this, you know, it's that still small voice that you can hear, but you have to attune yourself for it. And there are so many distractions. So the individual is searching, you know, God bless them, because, you know, there are so many distractions. You have so much entertainment. You have so many electronics. You have so many things that really take you away from this individual search. But if at least you're trying, you know, then you, you're in the right place because you at least started the search. I like that. That's a really good point. All right. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the Finding God podcast. It was awesome talking to you, and I enjoyed our conversation. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Delightful. You're welcome. I absolutely love this interview because it helps us to see that God is not about religion when it comes to reaching people, regardless of the religion that you are in or your belief system. You can still find God and have a relationship with Him. All you have to do is talk with God and pour out your heart to God and ask him for help or whatever it is that you need God to do for you. I truly enjoyed this interview because it lets us know that it's not about religion, but it's about God and developing that relationship with him. So if you are being told that you need to change your religion to go to heaven or that people outside of your religion will not be accepted by God, then I encourage you to spend some time talking to God and getting to know him for yourself outside of what your religion is teaching you. And I guarantee that you might find a God that you never knew existed. And you will absolutely be amazed by the love, care, and mercy that God has, not only for you, but for all of his children. The song that we're going to listen to today is called Covers Me by our artist of the week, Sarah Reynolds.
Before I end the podcast, I would like to thank you so much for being here with me today and for listening to another inspirational story about how people find God. If you love the podcast as much as I love spending time with you, I encourage you to share this episode with a friend or family member and to make sure that you like and follow the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I will also love it if you would leave a review for the podcast so that you can let me know how much you are enjoying the show. If you would like to get in contact with Mickey, Sarah Reynolds, or myself, all of our contact information can be found in the show notes, and all you have to do is click on the links below, and you will definitely be able to get in contact with us. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then click on the email address in the show notes and let me know that you would like to be a guest, and I will make sure that I get in contact with you and schedule a day and time for you to record an interview. If you would like to submit music to the podcast click on the email address in the show notes and send me an email letting me know that you would like to submit a song for the show in the email send me a picture a short bio and an mp3 of the song that you would like to submit well i think that's all for now so until next week have an amazing day and a wonderful weekend bye bye